Greetings, geeks. This is Mike, and we're getting the band back together. Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kevin. So, Mike, what would you like to start off with today on our 50th episode? Episode 50. Good Lord. I know, we've been we've talking been this, this for a while. Well, the current topic is She-Hulk. And we all rambled a little bit last week about that. Well, you has everyone yeah, watched I episode two? <laughs> you haven't watched it yet? Oh, I watched all of it. I did not ramble. Right, you're <laughs> busy playing video games. Yeah. I watched that podcast. I did. So, Trevor, you're good at recaps. All right, Give so this... Recap of episode uh, two. Episode two uh, was titled Superhero Law. Um, and this is where, uh, so Jennifer Walters has, has basically gained notice of the public after defeating Titania has, they have dubbed her She-Hulk, a name which she pretty much despises. Um, and but- I hate that. Let me cut in there real quick. I know we should do commentary afterwards, but I hate it when they chirp the comic book material. I hate it. That's like She-Hulk. That's such a stupid name. It's your show chick. Yeah, okay. but she, she probably wanted something that's not derivative of the Hulk. But if, anyways. Yeah, but you um, are a derivative. So, Deal with so, it. So this big case that she was working on gets a mistrial because the defense argued that her fight and her be- being a superhero influenced the jury because she kind of saved them when she caught a table that would have turned them into, you know, strawberry jelly. Um, to be fair, that, that and did so, happen. So, yeah. Yeah. So then she gets fired from the <laughs> from the DA's office. And that's then, not really her fault. It's, as it's, Daredevil would say. I'm a really good lawyer. Yeah, she is. Um, but so she gets fired from the DA's office and then proceeds to go to place after place after place, getting the the quality level going down with each interview to the point where it's like this gray office with gray filing cabinets with no like horrible lighting. And they're all like, I did like the color correction as it went through scene to scene. That yeah, cool. they just making it worse and worse. So she can't find anything. Um, and then she's offered a position by the 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 people that she was prosecuting against, um, GL GLK and H, um, and they want her to defend Emil Blonsky, the Abomination. And she realizes this might be a conflict of interest because the Abomination. This is where they acknowledge the Hulk movie, the Norton Hulk movie, saying that you know her cousin and the Abomination had this big fight and they tried to kill each other and yada yada, and. But when she meets Blonsky in his, like, in the Tim Roth form, which was nice. Um, and he goes on about, you know, how he, he writes haiku now and he's he's made his piece and all this other stuff. And you can see when she's going like, so they pumped you full of super soldiers serum to do this and, and you weren't in control of yourself. And he doesn't say he wasn't in control, but he just he glances forward to he wants to make reparations to all his victims. Oh. And he's written all these haikus and. And he just wants to live his life. He doesn't want to be in prison more. And so uh, Walter's, you know, she calls up Banner and, you know, they're on the phone and, and he's like, you're just calling me to tell me you're going to take the case. And she's like, yeah, I'm calling you to take him, take the case. And that's where we find out that Banner or Small Smart Hulk, he is on the Sakarian ship flying to Destination Unknown, which might be a good way to set up World War Hulk. Fingers crossed. Anyways, um, and so she's all set to like take this case and then found out that Blonsky had escaped from prison and was participating in a fight club as witnessed in Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. They even use so this is where we're gonna get the Wong angle coming in. Um 
because that's how he escaped prison was Wong probably teleported him out to go fight. Um, so it's a nice way of kind of integrating it into the MCU and pulling in the various things. And as a side note, when she is scrolling on her computer and she's on BuzzFeed, there's two little slide side blurbs. And one of them is yes! man with metal claws in bar fight. Well, that's not hard. That's not really hard to figure out <laughs> who that is. And the second one talks about the giant marble statue sticking out of the Indian Ocean, hence the the celestial and the, from the Eternal. So they're using this show to, as a nice way to kind of tie some of this stuff together from the movies that don't feel as connected. This is some of the glue to kind of join some things together, which I I think is a nice nice way of doing it. Um, and. I'm going to address something that you had said last week, Mike. You didn't like the way that they had introduced her origin story. Yeah, I, I stick to that. I agree, but I also disagree. There was be there would have been no way to do the you know her on a on a case where you know he she gets shot and Banner's there to save her because at this point, you know he's he's this in the smart Hulk form. He would not willingly give his blood because. If you jump back to the Norton, where, Norton version where he is so deathly afraid of any of his blood getting released because it's so toxic. I mean, Stanley almost died. Yes, and, and such ramifications. <laughs> they needed a way for him to be injured in a way that there would be a blood transfer that he had no control over. Or he had no... I, okay, I'm going to counter you with that because I think you can do that. If he is Smart Hulk, mm-hmm. so if Smart Hulk reverted to Banner... He's trying to protect his cousin. It's like, look, she's in danger. He would still this not. Mafia goons are going to gun her down. She gets he, shot. He would there, still not let I any of there's his a way. There's, oh, you, there's a way to make it work. If no, he no. knew, it's like, look, I know her DNA can handle this. This is the only way to save That's just her it. life. He didn't. He didn't until he ran the test afterwards. Which, honestly, this also ties up a neat little bow of the leader. So back in the, the Norton movie, um, I can't think of the, the actor's name. Uh, Troy will pull it up. Um, he's the one, Stearns, who's you know working with Banner to try to get him to control the Hulk form and be able to control his regression. And there's this whole fight and he gets like, you know, falls down, gets knocked on the head and some of the, the serum falls on. And you can see his, through the cut, his head starting to bulge and hinting that he would eventually become the character of the leader. This show neatly says, well, why don't we have the see- seen the leader? Because... His blood is practically like lethal to anyone whose body can't handle the the the, the extra gamma radiation that comes with it. Jennifer is as and, you know she put she one in a million or one in a billion of the people out there who can handle it. Now this oh might be, so I'm better than you? No, it's just well things she's taking. The, I think some of that I'm better than you back and forth. It's just like banter between cousins. Oh, mm. that cringes me so much. We'll get into I, that later. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that as a, as, as uh, anything but you know the two cousins who've been competing against each other. Yeah, because like, by the sounds of childhood. neither of them oh, have. Oh, what siblings. the hell? Let's get into this right now. But I'm, it I'm going to say, drives me crazy because it makes She-Hulk seem like an idiot. She's supposed to be this smart attorney, and oh, she's competitive. How much time we, we got a few minutes before this one ends, so I'm going to go on a rant. So. The Hulk has already joined the Avengers, saved the Earth. He's had mm-hmm. some issues. You know, he's stomped some cities and smashed some things. But he's ultimately defeated Thanos. And well, he should Thanos be a hero. Huh? Thanos defeated him. But 
know, well, no, he Thanos gave he Hulk was part of the team that got rid of Thanos. Thanos, oh, okay, gave he Hulk he beat him up kicking. in fisticuffs, but eventually, Smart Hulk got an Infinity Gauntlet and you know undid everything. So he was part of the team that whooped Thanos' ass. Okay. So for oh, um, so I'm better than you. It's like, have you defeated Thanos? No. Shut See, up. I'm, I'm I'm putting that back to if they were growing up together in any sort of like because the thing is Banner has no siblings and Walters has no siblings that we know of so far that they haven't introduced. So as cousins, as you know, only child cousins, when they get together, they would act like siblings. There would be that rivalry. Now his you know, imagine competing against someone who has like seven plus PhDs. Yeah, sure you're exactly smart. even yeah, without the Hulk serum and without defeating Thanos. What? Um, if you're, so I'm better than you? No. Think of your relationship with your siblings, Mike. Did you ever get competitive with them? I did, and I always whooped them. Yeah. No, that's not that's not always true. Yeah. But I mean, it's there just, is something with that. I did like the banter, but when it went off script, weird feminist kind of writing, that stuff just triggers me. Especially when it doesn't make any sense. Now, I did love when they were doing not the I'm better than you banter. When that stuff happened, I thought it was very enduring. And I liked the relation between the two characters. Another one was when she did the whole rant. And it's funny because I posted some things on the Facebook group uh, with the whole, oh, I know how to control my anger because I've been catcalled and I have to deal with these things. I could literally be murdered and you've never had to deal with this before. But if you go back to first Avengers is like, Hey, Banner, now might be the time to get angry. Is that that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. That shows that he's been dealing with anger issues this entire time is, he, and if he, he hulks out he destroys cities but the thing is like, dude banner has never had to deal you know he wasn't in, in like before he became the hulk it's not like he was in the science community as a woman who's automatically looked down on but I he can, already said that's my secret cap i'm always angry he's always angry but we don't he never says the, anger issues that he's been dealing with his entire the thing life is, his anger issues that he's been dealing with may stem from a completely different source other than his gender. I mean, I, I see how women are treated like in the workforce or just, I mean, I, I hear Mayor's colleagues, you know, it's just like male nurses are looked down on because nursing is supposed to be a female job and doctoring is supposed to be a male job. And you like, when you see some of these doctors, especially listening to them when we go to the various parties and they're talking about, oh, well, you know, I was dealing with this doctor, but she just doesn't know what she's talking about. Even though this woman has 20 plus years experience doing that job, she's dismissed because she doesn't have something dangling between her legs. And Really? Do they do yes. that? Yeah, they do. And so see, I, I don't could, want to go to that hospital. Yeah, see, the thing is, I could, I could see Walter's, you know, struggling that, you know, she probably pushed herself all the way through law school, getting the highest, highest marks and all that sort of stuff. And then we see her family life when she goes to visit her, her family and they're all praising the, the black fuster, you know, the, the fuckwit of a, of a, of a, whatever he was, the, the son-in-law, wherever it was, yeah, we're, I'm a manager for Best Buy. And they're like, yeah. that's like, that's like setting the bar at ankle fucking height. If that's, if that, if your cause of celebration is that he's a manager at a Best Buy. And you're like, well, especially when Bruce Banner is your cousin. Exactly. You got Bruce Banner and you've got Walters, who's like, you know, kick ass lawyer, but you're singing his praises for being the, the, the manager of a Best Buy. 
but that and that's where the storytelling just grinds me because it's pushing in my opinion a political agenda rather than getting into no, actual storytelling not. No, no, I completely all right go gavin you had two minutes before this just that this is gavin, a woke feminine bullshit okay absolutely not Every single woman that I, I have lived with, every single woman who's had a career that I've worked with, has had men mansplaining every single thing to them, treating her like, oh, just a woman. Every single one of them. And this is how women live in this world. And, if, if, and the only people complaining about woke uh, feminist agendas are white, middle-aged men complaining about woke feminist agenda i'm sorry that's actually I not absolutely true reject that's that. why i put young rip in last episode because that's a thing that contrasts that and also the nerdrotic group they have a bunch of females and things so it's not it's not just by and large men. it's mostly it white, white males complaining about it it's... what are you saying i'm better than you no i'm just kidding <laughs> that's a joke that's a joke <laughs> Listeners, if you're listening, that is a joke. (laughs) You chalk that up to put that in the joke column. Take that out of the truth column and put in the joke column. There we go. We're good. We're good. Thank you, Trevor. You're welcome. Just, just you know, moderating this a little bit. What I will one one of the things now, I'm sure we've got all lot opinions on how the story went. I I liked how the story went. Um, I it to me it felt exactly what I was I was hoping for when they uh, they they announced She Hulk five years ago no four years ago something like that uh one of the things that really 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 made me happy was that uh that the bit at the end the after credit stuff where she's picking up the damn fridge for her mother to, to clean under she's picking up the car so that they could change a tire and she's just got this pure john Byrne esque style look on, on her face from from the 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 uh, sensational she hulk comic series just like She's bored. She could be doing something so much more with her powers, and she's helping her family change tires and clean under fridges. Absolutely perfect incarnation of the feel of the comic book. It just felt exactly right. What I wa- what I wanted from the comic, what I got from the show, it was just to me, it was this perfect mesh. I I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Now the thing is, is I listened to. Uh, your segment, Mike, and I listened to uh, what was his name again? I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch it. Young Ripa. Young Ripa. Um, I I'm going to go on record now saying I despise the term the MCU. I think I, I love was, it, but I absolutely sums up so much. But okay, hold on, hold on. I want to uh, let me it. let me say my piece, and then you can you can say what you want after. Yeah, go for it. I think people who use that term are cowards. You have to realize half of this planet is female. If you can't accept that for every male hero, there could be a female hero. If you have to push them down and say, well, they can't be as powerful as the male heroes. I pity you. I really do. The only I can't emotion, wait to respond. I, the only emotion I can give you is absolute fucking pity. Yes. I mean, right now the MCU is promoting more of the, the more powerful females to, you know, try to, play catch up when you look at you know up until the point of you know even endgame when they when they did the whole the, the the feminism run with all the female heroes taking on thanos there still wasn't that many of them 
like not really and none of them i mean only one or two of any sort of league of thanos or even any of the other heroes like thor or you know you know the rest of the cast and crew sort of thing so they're having to you know find that parody in some ways at the same time i feel they're kind of they're going too fast they're trying to throw it all at once and hope all of it sticks and then complain when it doesn't but on the flip side of that when you get you know, I'm going to put the, it, it's, it may be a stereotype of the, the basement dwelling neckbeards that scream and rail that there's no way that Captain Marvel can be as powerful as Thor because she's a woman and, and, and that's Thor. Or it's no fair that you know, this hero's a female now or, or they've decided to do a gender swap. I honestly don't care what actor or actress they put in a role as long as they're true to the character. I don't care if they get a man, woman, black, white, Chinese, kumquat, houseplant, house cat, whoever fits the role best. So totally when I hear, but when I hear people talk about, oh, it's the MCU because now they're pushing all these female heroes, all I can think of is how's virginity treating you so far? Because if you rail at it that hard and that badly that, you know, oh no, they're, they're, it's a female hero this time. You got to remember, I mean, yeah, Marvel Comics doesn't have a lot of female heroes because it was started by white guys a long, long time ago. 90% Okay, of... I got to I got to chime in before you go too far, Trevor, because you I... hit a whole lot of points that I have to hit. All right, go ahead and address them. <laughs> okay. For me, I like the whole MCU, even though the Nerdrotic guys go pretty far with just like slamming everything, but that term, I think, sums up to me this idea that I'm seeing in the whole next wave of Marvel, where they have to denigrate the old generation of things. They have to denigrate the old characters, the old heroes, and to try and elevate the feminine version of the character. Now, I disagree with what you said about how you just bash any female character that's powerful. Because Wonder Woman, the original one, anyway, that Patty Jenkins directed, Gal Gadot, mm -hmm. I think that was one of the most powerful female characters, especially superhero characters I'm gonna say, of all time, it because got, it kept the feminine. But in, in the when she first appeared in the that horrible Batman v Superman movie, and even in her own film, the amount of hate that the DC and, and just comic book fan base in general threw at that film, just because it's a it was a woman and really? like, okay maybe i don't go on as many forums as you i just look at things through my own viewpoint but for me that one there's so much stuff in that movie that i thought captured the feminine right so you have a very strong female character like almost unlimited power mm -hmm. the whole what's him steve trevor that's one thing if i was directing that movie i wouldn't know how to do that I would go the Frank Miller route. It's like, yeah, obviously she'd shake Superman because like, yeah, like, that's yeah. what you do. But you saw what the feminine interest was in that character. So he was part of this foreign world and he, she was trying to understand it. And he was the gateway and he's, you know, this charming, handsome man. And, you know, they'd never seen men before. And the way she directed that movie and told that story was so powerful and there were so many great moments like where she has ice cream for the first time and the way she's kind to children so it captures that feminine but then she goes and just absolutely kicks ass 
to the point where they're in the trenches in World War One, and she charges forward and inspires all the men to go with her. For me, that was one of the most powerful, iconic moments of a female character in film, like next to Galadriel in Lord of the Rings. So for me, those are those feminine archetypes that are very powerful. And if you can capture that, it's amazing. But when you have to do something like She-Hulk, where it's constantly, well, I guess I'm better than you. Oh, so I can do this better than you. And I'm better than you. And then Hawkeye is like, well, now I'm better than you. And it just keeps going and going. And it gets under my skin. And as far as neck beards, I don't have a beard. And as far as getting laid, <laughs> well, I have lots of children. So I, you know, those point of views don't affect me. But do you anyway. dwell in a basement? Uh, only for the day job, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just, I've, I've been to enough forums that I'm just, I'm getting tired of hearing these guys railing against, oh, why are they, why are they doing yet another Superman movie instead of doing a, you know, and a female, and it's like, because half the population of this planet are girls and are female. You know what, here, let's do a fun game. Let's do a work around. I said some of the female archetypes that I think are good heroes. So if you were to pick a strong female character. Harlequin. Like, hmm? but, but not on film. If she had her, I, this is, this is a, a, a post I just recently read. Someone went like a huge rant about how um, they can't, like every time that DC puts out a female hero or specifically an anti-hero, they have to put them in a team because it doesn't work for a female to be by herself. And someone said, well, Harlequin works. And he's like, and this guy went on this huge rant and then someone said, have you seen the HBO series? The guy admitted he had. He didn't even know it existed, even though it's in its third season. And it's like, maybe you need to stop, get away from the keyboard, and go to the TV and watch a little bit of that. Harley Quinn even actually had an episode making fun of that exact same mindset. Yeah, it's... As I said, it's... And Harley it's, Quinn... Oh, wait, I'm just going to cut you off real quick, Trevor. But Harley Quinn's really neat because she started out as a sidekick character. Right. So she was like second fiddle to Joker, mm -hmm. but the character elevated herself to the point where she can hold her own. And so I think that's a very strong character. It's an evil anti-hero villain type character, but strong. I mean, sorry, go ahead. Just as you know, just as anti-hero was kind of like Deadpool is like does yeah. heroic things, but only when it's in their own self-interest, like won't save the cat out of the tree unless the cat's maybe wearing a nice diamond collar that would look real nice. Um, things like that. So, so cute and cuddly. No, screw the cat. She just wants the diamond on the on the on the necklace. No, but it's it's I've I've as I said I've gone to enough of these forums where people are railing. You know, there was there's a huge forum about how there's no way that Captain Marvel is as powerful as Thor, and people who just can't accept the idea. I mean, people have done other people have put on posts of like you know where her powers are coming from versus where Thor's powers coming from, and they're like, I don't care. It's a woman. She can't be as powerful. And that's that's their whole argument is because okay. she's a woman. She can't be as so powerful. So I don't... Okay, I don't read those forums, so I don't know what those stories are. And for me, the Captain Marvel movie was a combination of retconning the origin story, which triggered me. And it was well, just but, kind of like this weak acting in... Yeah, well, the thing is, like, is, I mean, Captain Marvel is such a... it's. A, such a huge backstory you would spend two and a half hours and she wasn't wearing a bathing suit with a sash i mean come on <laughs> yeah that's much later that, that um, should have been in the movie at some point but the thing is, is for a pool scene to, to get into captain marvel you have to bring the x-men in or at least rogue and that's yeah. a whole 
bigger can of worms they couldn't get into. So I can see why for films, I mean, I look at it as that's why the MCU is different than mainstream comics because there's stuff they can't do. Like, like you know, Miss Marvel and the whole Inhuman Terrigen Miss stuff. They they just, they didn't have enough episodes to get into that. And frankly, no one wants to go back to the whole Inhuman storyline anyway. And it's, it's still going to take at least a full decade to wash the stain of that out of people's memories. That was... That was television at its absolute fucking worst. That was I didn't the brain- even watch it. I'll it was take the, your word for it. It was the brainchild of someone who was fired and, and going to do a giant fuck you to everyone in general. That's all I look at that series as. It was someone who was just very bitter knowing that they were being fired and figured, how much damage can I cause before I'm finally booted out the door? That's the only way. Because if someone earn- was doing that with, with earnestness... Oh, no, 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 no. That person has some issues. Um, but yeah, so that's why, like, it, when I was going through some of the stuff, and every time, like, in other podcasts, people say the MCU and then kind of give a self-little giggle about it. And I'm like, you're really just digging a fucking hole for yourself every time. And eventually it's going to get deep enough that someone's just going to push you in and pull the dirt over top and plant the tombstone. Um, I know, like the term. I, you could like the term because it fine. sums up it's a way to i guess um like it's a synopsis of the things that i see going on the whole denigrating the male hero to elevate the female i don't if think you're that, going on equal terms you should be able to elevate both at the same time things also a lot Each of the characters a lot of the characters that we're, we're we're used to we're comfortable with are having to be phased out because the actors and actresses don't want to play that role for the next decade or two. And that's fine with phasing them out. I have no problem with that. Did you see that article? Uh, I forget what, geez, I should have done my research, but there's an article saying <laughs> with the writer. And so it's a female writer talking about the series and talking about the jokes in She-Hulk. And I honestly thought most of the jokes in She-Hulk were pretty bad, but Marvel would stop them anytime they would do something too derogatory against the history of the Marvel universe. I'm thinking, geez, they cut out stuff like that. Because so many of the stuff was just bashing it. And the stuff that made it in was enough to trigger me. So I'm just thinking, what were all these jokes, quote unquote, that they were putting in? And, oh man, I'm going to get myself in trouble. But there's a thing with like female comedy where, it is that where you can't, you know, it's like jabbing and poking and attacking and think it's funny because I'm cute and haha, everybody loves me. But that's not like real comedy. Like real comedy is where you can find the little funny bits. And Orville is a perfect example where they're able to find the funny bits of Star Wars and Star Trek and all these types of sci-fi and modern culture and everything that's going on in the world and find the funny bits and actually make it funny. But with She-Hulk, in my opinion, it was kind of a lot of ranting and poking. And like, even with the name She-Hulk, the amount of times they made a joke, like, oh my God, what a stupid name. It's like, hey, I actually liked that comic as a kid. Like, don't poke fun <laughs> well, I think name. part of it is, 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 you know, imagine you're, you, you know, you break onto the scene as a hero and they called you like the bald guy. And you're like, that, that's not who I am. She doesn't want to get labeled as She-Hulk. She will probably in her mind want something um witty and sophisticated because she's a lawyer but they instead focused on the fact that you know she's a female and she you know kind of like the hulk you know i can't see it it's like hey you're one punch man it's like okay 
Yeah. Um, now, something that, um, oh, God, I, just, I, I didn't lose my train of thought. I can still feel it rumbling around the tracks. Um, Gavin, find it. Yeah, no, it? it's so when so Wakanda Forever is just around the corner. Um, yeah. We're like, what, two months away. And there is a growing movement of people hashtagging not my Iron Man because they're going to be introducing Ironheart like Riri Williams because RDJ, he's done. He's done with um, the, the whole you know MCU. He is moving on to other projects. He has no interest in coming back playing Tony Stark or Iron Man in pretty much any capacity. Um, so they're like, all right, we're going to introduce Ironheart as kind of like the successor to Iron Man. And there's, as I said, there's a, a growing movement of people with the hashtag, not my Iron Man. I'm like, the movie's not even out yet. We don't know in what capacity she's going to be in the film. Give it a fucking chance already. Now, okay, I will jump in. Like, that character was introduced back when Marvel was doing the whole diversity movement. This was under Disney, if I remember right. And... This is when all the characters were going through radical changes. And now I will say her first cover looked freaking awesome. That comic book, like I wasn't interested in the story at all. I knew they were doing the gender swap and everything else thing, but it was an amazing cover. And so I have that screenshotted and saved because now, it was awesome. There's a, a, a female engineer. Um, I've seen her stuff on, on YouTube and she is a big fan of Iron Man and Iron Heart. And so using her engineering training, she has 3D printed and milled and created a variety of working functional Iron Man suits. Like, you know, the various compartments open, the, the helmet opens and closes, the eyes glow, it gets the hands to, you know, there's like a, a spray. It comes out. It looks like it's firing off her pulse. These things look fucking amazing. And she has made a variety of Iron Man suits and a couple of, of Ironheart suits. And her inspiration for all this was Riri Williams' Ironheart. Because when she was up to the point where, you know, figuring out what she wanted to do with her life, that's when those comic books were hitting. And she's like, oh, so there, you can have a female Iron Man. Well, that's interesting. And that's what's kind of led her through becoming an engineer. And her her side passion of doing cosplay with these amazing armor suits that she builds for these conventions and stuff if you get a chance go online check these out these things are probably i would say this is the sort of things that you know when they're doing the the costuming for these movies instead of having them to wear the the stupid like you know um motion capture pajamas they should have hired her to build these costumes because she can like bend down and touch her toes while wearing these she's they're completely movable and functional and has all the different elements that can move and interact. It would look better than, you know, two guys wearing their pajamas in, in a sleepover. Um, if you see that's like awesome. The, How do you find that? Uh, I looked at online and it was, it was uh, through YouTube. Initially it was like a little feed came up like, Ooh, check this out. And I just followed it back. Um, I'll try to get the research and, and find her name and, and give you the, uh, the YouTube links to it. It's just, it's incredible. The stuff that she's doing. Like, the, okay, cool. like the, I mean, everything looks um, screen accurate, like, like, like cinema level ready. And I'm like, why the hell have some, you know, has like Weta or one of those people, one of those companies not hired her to make these suits for these different films because they're just fucking awesome looking. And I always prefer the practical suits. Like, like in the first movie, 
Downey wore like most of it was a practical and some of the, of the second movie, but from the Iron Man three on more often than not, he was just wearing the, the motion capture pajamas. Yeah. Do you guys remember the dance scene in Iron Man two? Yeah. He's dancing around in the armor. Uh, yeah. This was when they switched over from uh, like metallic, like actual metal suits to 3d printed plastic suits, like using filament. And uh, it was so light in comparison to the original one. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was able to do all these like moves that he wouldn't have been able to do in the first one. Yeah, and it's it's, I mean, when you look at the look at her suits, they look like it's metal because they're like very metallic looking, but it's like yeah, three D printed plastic. Um, but she's worked out how to make them very articulate and so that you can actually move in them, because there's a, a very famous picture of Robert Downey Jr. and what his name escapes me, the guy who plays War Machine standing in this at the, basically the final confrontation and they're just wearing like the little bits of the helmet and then the the 3d motion capture pajamas and the caption is without the special effects it looks like two guys on a sleepover you know play yeah. acting and the thing is to me the cg suits while they look good it just doesn't match the quality of the one that's physically there on set it just it's it's close but it's it's still enough that it jars me out of the moment yeah that's why the mark three is my favorite still so if you are want to check out this this uh these these suits look up emily the engineer on youtube um and you get to see all of her iterations and as she because she builds other props mainly it's iron man suits um and you get to see all the iterations of the suits that she's built and sometimes she'll go through and show you like how she had like engineering issues she had to resolve because to make it work it wouldn't look like it does in the film but then she figures out a workaround to make it look like it does in the film and actually work at the same time. So yeah, at one point she curses CGI, like you make it look so easy. It's not because <laughs> something has to fit in there. My head. That's awesome. Yeah. So she doesn't have like a ton of videos so far, but um, she's got enough. And yeah, she, she it's, and she even goes through like some of the stuff they do and how she gets, gets it to look the way it does. So automotive pain is a big one. So Emily, the engineer on YouTube, you can check it out. And now back to Ironheart, it, like when she shows up in this next movie, like no matter what all these trolls on forums say, if it's a good story and it's done well, I don't have a problem with that. But if they start doing the, it's like, oh yeah, I'm so much better than Tony Stark. Oh, I can do all the things he could never do. I will be completely outraged. So and I'll be starting to say, damn you, MCU. <laughs> but if it's a good story, I, I mean, that's the thing with these kind of things, story trumps all. And I'm fine with strong female characters. I'm fine with all that kind of stuff. As long as it's done well. I still think Cara Dune in Mandalorian was one of the best Disney princesses. And they fired her, you know, because she had something to say. Like she spoke her mind. So while they're tooting, you know, strong female characters but then firing probably the strongest female Disney princess they ever had who could rip a person's arm off if she wanted to, you know, it, I just get cringed out by it. So that's what I got to say about that. Now back to She-Hulk, which started this whole thing. There's a couple great moments is because I did have so many issues with this to the point where I almost didn't want to keep watching, but um, where Jennifer was talking with Abomination, I thought that was a great moment. 
<laughs> the fact well, that I he mean, said Tim, Bruce Tim Banner Roth a haiku. Just, Tim Roth just, I mean, any scene he's in, he just takes control of it. Yeah. He was so sympathetic and like in his facial expression. And you're like, yeah, maybe he has changed. And then you're like, wait a second. I saw him in the fight in, in, in the, in the fight in, in Shang-Chi and wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Unless like, you know, Wong's got him like magically mind controlled while he's abomination or something. This, the two don't seem to mix, mix up something. And they're like, well, maybe he's doing a silence of the lambs thing. Like it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. But um, just his rationale from the point of view, like, and that's where good villains always come from is because they have like their point of view. Yeah. It's like, well, hey, what did you, I was what did you say? I, I thought I was going to be the next Captain America. Yeah. Well, his speech about, yeah. he thought he was the hero. He was there to take down uh, a monster, know, a monster. And they pumped him up full of drugs to, to help him achieve that. end. make him Captain America. Yeah. And I think that's why he swayed Walter on Walters onto his side, because she's like, well, well, yeah, they did. Damn it. They were supposed to be the hero. And wait a second. That was that was Bruce that you were beating up. Um, so she, I think that's where she was like when she made that call to Bruce to much say, yeah, they want me to defend the abomination. And he's like, you're just calling me to tell you you're taking the case. I'm calling you to tell him I'm taking the case because she'd already decided. She and that was one it. part I liked too. And you know, where they did the like that sort of token female character that just keeps on talking, but it very much felt like a comic book with too many word bubbles. Yeah, it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. I remember that going. panel it's where like, she's like oh. struggling under the word bubble. She's like, Could people talk less, please? <laughs> yeah, it felt like that. Another thing I was thinking of with the whole talking to the camera, because I talked about that uh last podcast, but the other one I thought of was Boston Legal. Because I went back and read some of the John Byrne She-Hulk, and she keeps saying things like, "Oh, I'll probably learn about this in episode three or in issue three, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff." And Boston Legal would always do that at the end. It's like, "Oh, I guess we'll see you next season," or "We'll find out what happens next episode," or they would say that kind of thing. I wish they had more of that sort yeah, of that. I agree with. I didn't the agree camera. with the the whole office thing because the office was. I mean whole premise of the office is there's a documentary crew around them at all times and sometimes yeah. they turn to the camera and acknowledge the camera and, and or when they do the little side interviews i like the way they're they're not doing that because it's not like there's a documentary crew following around yet um so i think when if that's if that's some point in these next what six more episodes we have seven more episodes nine yeah nine episodes so. in total yeah I, i'm sure at some point they're going to have a, a film crew is going to be following around to try to do like a you know, I mean, that'd be cool if they did. Although in the comic books, it's not like there's a film. No, book. it's like we, she was addressing the, the reader all the time. Yeah, in, in, in the comic books, we are that documentary crew that she's addressing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think they could have pulled that off if they... Like, I just thought some of the looking at the camera was a little bit contrived, and it I've seen it done better. So I wish they just nailed that a bit, because that's so iconic yeah. for especially the John Byrne run of She-Hulk. Yeah, I mean, and that was, it was always great. You could tell when she was going to address the camera because like the word bubbles changed and I mean, and she eye direction right to the viewer, so. Right, which doesn't make any sense in the panel, but it's like, whoa, she's looking at me? Why? Why is she talking to me? What the hell? Yeah. So I'm, I'm I want to see where this, this series is going. I mean, and we're going right to like mid-October with this. So we got stuff, plenty of fodder to come up, so. Yeah. Any final words on She-Hulk, Evan? It's nothing except that I've, so far it's it's what I've been hoping for. 
Uh, which was the one you wanted to talk to? Bullet Train? Was that yours, Kevin? Yeah, Bullet Train was uh, was what I, what I watched. All right, so give us a right, Let's go Bullet Train. Uh, okay. Um, so after watching uh, Bullet Train, uh, I, I sat in the, in, the, in, the, in the theater, kind of looked over at Amanda and just said, that was the most Quentin Tarantino film I've ever seen that was not directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, it was directed by uh, David uh, Lich. Uh, Deadpool 2. Known, yeah, Deadpool 2, uh, Atomic Blonde, John Wick. Uh, he's, he's got a, an impressive pedigree just uh, as a director alone. Uh, and, but he's, you, you name the action movie from like early 2000 onwards, he's, he's been part of the stunts team through all of it. Uh, so basically stars Brad Pitt, uh, uh, who's, who's, who's a, a mercenary, uh, possibly the worst luck you've ever seen on a mercenary. Uh, he's kind of a snatch and grab guy. He doesn't, he doesn't do wet work as it were. Um, his, uh, his code name is uh, Ladybug. Uh, Joe King stars as Prince, who's uh, this, uh, this innocent schoolgirl. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, who we know is Kickass and Quicksilver, uh, he's he's uh, he's 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 known as Tangerine, who's a British assassin, along with his uh, his partner uh, Brian Tyree Henry as Lemon. Uh, seems to have a weird obsession with Thomas the Tank Engine. <clears throat> who does it? Uh, Andrew Koji as uh, the father. Uh, Benito A. Uh, Martinez Ocasio as the wolf, Zazie Zaz Beats as the hornet, Michael Shannon as the white death, a uh, whole bunch of others, uh, including Masi Oka from Heroes, uh, you know, the, the Japanese fellow who could uh, go uh, transport himself in time. Uh, Ryan Reynolds and Channing Tatum also cameo in it. Uh, I will say, Mike, I'm so sorry, but I am not going to spoil this. I, I, I can't do it. Uh, this is like uh, revealing the usual suspect spoiler. I'm sorry. All right. You oh, have okay. to watch it. I, like, so you sorry. have to watch it to get it, to, to, to appreciate the ending. So I, I can't do okay, that. Okay, I'm glad I you said that. It. Because you know I want as many spoilers that don't ruin the movie. But if it ruins the movie, that's awesome. Because I agree with everything you said. I was looking at this. It's like, oh, my God, this looks like... Quentin Tarantino, you know, the so, action sequences look amazing. Just I, I'm looking at the trailer and I hadn't even heard of this movie until you mentioned it in our little side chat. I, I kept seeing trailers for it and I was just like, wow, this is pretty good. Um, so one thing I will say that separates us from your typical Quentin Tarantino movies is, uh, well, Tarantino uh, movies ha have a certain type of dialogue to it. Uh, it's always, it's almost always very dark, very, uh, uh, it's witty, but it's but it's not necessarily funny. This this has got great witty dialogue, and a lot of genuinely funny moments in it. Um, just a lot of off cuff re remarks, some callbacks to things said earlier in in the movie, uh, and the characters like even the, all of these characters are just likable. Uh, 
Brad Pitt plays this uh, mercenary who's who's trying to do this sort of life changing kind of thing. You know, he's 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 reading self help books and stuff like that, reciting like uh, like sometimes he he's talking to his handler and saying, you know, this is the sort of thing that they talk talked about. Uh, I got to reevaluate things. I got to take things look from other perspective. And he's uh, he's basically uh, he's basically subbing in for this job. And uh, so. He, 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 it, it all revolves around him trying to get this specific case and everything is all related to this case um the the, the people he encounters who try to fight him for the case uh the the, the uh like the case itself, you're talking a literal case like a briefcase like a like a like a like a, okay. like a, like a briefcase yeah um the the fight scenes are are incredibly choreographed um the 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 uh, loca- location which is pretty much uh, Japanese stations along the the, uh, the bullet train lines, uh, like barely come into play. Like so, a couple of them they just step off, then step back onto the train. <laughs> so I mean, the bullet train itself is a char- almost a character on its own. Um, I, I will say there's a, there's there's a bit of suspension of belief that you got to kind of have with some of the stuff say about the three quarters point, but uh just it's it's a fun ride um and the I great can do thing, suspension of disbelief if it's fun uh just ev- the way everything kind of hints at something else all leads into like the the, the finale which makes 100 percent sense when you finally see it all together um and that's the no spoiler part yeah like the the the, the, the small details are so good but I can't talk about like 99% of them because it will only make sense if you watch the movie without any spoilers. All I can say is watch the damn movie. All right. I'm just going to have to go see it then. Yeah. Same. I think I'll, I'll, well, I I can very easily convince Mary to go see it. So we'll do a a date night sometime. Well, I don't know about this week, but maybe next week. Yeah. Maybe next week. Absolutely. It was, we, uh, we, we both agreed. It was, uh, it, it was just, it was just, offbeat enough with the right kind of action uh that it just it was the perfect kind of like like uh rounding out the end of the summer blockbuster kind of movie so it's the kind of movie you should see in the theater rather than wait for tv or is it okay to wait for it i I, you could wait for it but i mean like there's there's a lot of stuff that looked really good on the big screen i got i I will say that so it's a date yeah take the spouse to a movie like, yeah, not a not 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 super kid friendly. I mean, well, uh, I wouldn't take the kids. There, but I mean, it's, it's yeah, fun. yeah. Uh, there, there is there is a fair bit of blood and a bit yeah. of gore. I'm sure Fred would be like, "Why is he bleeding? That's a lot of blood." Where's the dinosaurs? So, oh, there's dinosaurs. Spoilers. <laughs> now, Damn, promised I wouldn't tell. On, on a quick side <laughs> note, saying dinosaurs. So. Again, on my YouTube feed, someone had linked in. Um, someone has taken like the Twilight movie and a bunch of other movies, including Jurassic Park, and held up their phone to watch it through their phone, like on, on like a TV, and they're holding. And they have it through Snapchat through the shook filter, so everyone has like this like crazy shook face. So every time they turn, like a face turns to the camera, yeah, and the eyes are wide, but the mouth still matches with the the lip sync of the people talking so my daughter wanted to see we, we watched a couple quick ones and then jurassic park and second the theme of jurassic park 
Fred comes running into the room and it starts with like, you know, the brontosaurus is eating the leaves and it drops down and you have a T-Rex. So every time they turn, they get this face and Fred's like, he's happy. He's really happy. (laughs) He's looking a lot. His eyes are wide. Look at the big smile on his face. He's super happy with dinosaurs. And I'm just like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh, and I'm trying not to laugh out loud, but it's so ridiculous. Again, something, check it out on YouTube. Just type Snapchat filter you know, Jurassic Park and enjoy the next minute and a half. But yeah, Fred, when he's narrating stuff like that, it just, I I held in the laughter so much that my chest was just tightening up from trying to hold in the laughter so much. But yeah, that's, so when, when I said dinosaurs, you know, this Surprise! There's dinosaurs. It's instantly what I thought of. I'm, you know, I'm just nice. giving the, just giving the listeners something to to go look for. So yeah, that's what we do. We indeed. So oh, Mike, you wanted to talk about Cobra Kai because that is just around the corner from starting up the next season. Hit it. Yes. Where are you at, Gavin? Have you started yet? Or are you still holding out on Cobra Kai? I'm still like on season two somewhere. Oh, Gavin, Gavin, Gavin. So this latest trailer, which I guess came out a couple of weeks ago, but I'm always late to these things. It shows so much stuff that's going on. I, I thought the whole Johnny story would be like Karate Kid 2, where he's in Mexico or wherever he's going. And the two stories would be fragmented. But the fact that you see them come together is incredible and the whole war against silver and the franchises and all that kind of stuff looks phenomenal um looking at the uh miguel and robbie Mm -hmm. like their conflict and to see that they've gone on the journey and they've come back because you can tell by the locations they're back and they're still going at it there's a whole that cool robbie matrix kick thing they do in the battle which looks phenomenal. But my favorite part was Johnny and Chosen going into Cobra Kai. It's like, sorry, you know, like the old folks lesson isn't until whatever it is, Tuesday. It's like, oh, no, we're not here to take a lesson. We're here to teach a lesson or however they say it. Anyways, look at the trailer. It's amazing. And I cannot wait for that sequence. And the other one is like, oh, you're playing with fire. Yeah, and I'm the gasoline yeah, it feels like Chosen is going to step into the role of Mr. Miyagi. This way, Daniel can stay as Daniel, but Chosen can be the... Because, I mean, he knows more about Miyagi-Do than Daniel did. Yeah, but it's this weird dark side of Miyagi-Do. Yeah, right? Well, like, it's like, his, his uncle would teach him. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I'm kind of... And I, it can go hardcore. And I'm looking at the students, uh, that girl that was in Eagle Fang... You see her in the Cobra Kai outfit. It's like, oh, what? How'd yeah. she swap over? You know, it's like, oh, I could just got really into karate and, you know, Eagle Fang's not really doing anything. So, hey, I'm going to the next best thing. Yeah. Um, Tori, the fact that she's still with Cobra Kai and she's like, you know, like the big student now. Cause mm-hmm. I, the way that ended and she knew that she won, but based on the rep getting paid off. Yeah. And the fact she's still there is like, I don't know where that story is going to go. And then they bring in that um, Korean girl to be Silver's like right-hand man yeah, to yeah. teach. And the idea that she's probably like the granddaughter of whoever created the Cobra Kai style. 
there's something about that. Like there's some rumors online that that might be who that character is going to be. Anyways, there's so many multiple layers of everything. And even the fact that you see Chosen, Daniel, and oh, well, what's his name? Oh, standing there together. Yeah. And he's got, Daniel's got the black eye. And like, but, but the thing is, they're also bringing, I mean, they've, they've only, sh- they haven't shown him moving around or anything, but um, uh, what's his name? Hold on. Let me look it up. Uh, uh, Sean Kanan, who was played Mike Barnes in the third uh, Karate Kid. Oh, yeah. Because he's supposed to show up. He's, well, it's already sh- shown in the, in some of the, the stills. He is going to be in, in this season. Um, season five, Sean Cannon re- returns as Mike Barnes in the first look. So he's going to be there. He was the, I remember in Karate Kid 3, he's the bad boy of karate. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, this will be interesting. It'll, it's, it's, they're really stacking them in. Yeah. But to see Johnny and Daniel and Chosen together teaching the students, like that's a crazy powerhouse combo. And it's like, where is that going to go? I have no idea. The fact that they were supposed to shut down the dojo, the fact that you have a franchise starting, Silver's going completely psycho, and then you cut back to Crease in prison. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm good at making friends. And you see him just, like, racking people in prison. It's like, where is that going to go? That seems like you could have a good silence of the lambs kind of moment going on. Anyway, so much going on. I'm so hyped. Um, I was going to say, I I wish that um, Chad McQueen who played Dutch in the first Karate Kid movie would come back. But he, I know that I've read other stuff where he's very, he's basically extremely busy with um, just non-acting pursuits, um, directing and, and a host of other things. Um, they did mention in the, the, the karate, the, the Cobra Kai reunion episode where all the, the original members got together that Dutch was in prison. Um, and that's why he wasn't yeah. Maybe with Crease in prison, maybe he can hook up with Dutch somehow. That oh, how cool would that be? That'd, That'd be, be awesome. amazing. But in some way, I just hope that they, you know, he, somehow he he manages to get it to his schedule and manages to do it because I think it would be just be so awesome to have him there. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. That's I mean, they've been able to pull a couple of big surprises along the way. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to this this upcoming season of Cobra Kai. Gavin, you got to get on board. So I keep hearing, working working at it. <laughs> All right. So taking a bit of a turn from there, um, we have let's see. Uh, so my family and I have been watching alone, and we have just finished the season of Pairs, where you know you have two two members on each team. And we've just yeah, come- yeah, and those Toronto boys somehow, somehow pulled out the victory, which I still can't believe because I think if the dad and son had stayed two more days, they the the, the Toronto boys would have just succumbed to starvation or a tree falling on one of them or something. Maybe but a they didn't. They didn't. But anyways, so we're now into the next season, season five, the redemption. So redemption. If this 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 season is. People who didn't win, didn't get it all the way to the end in the last four seasons. Um, they took a grouping of them and just let them come back and basically try their hand again at it. Now that they have a, a taste of what it's like and maybe they can do better. Um, and what I said last week is it's like Empire Strikes Back because you know all the characters. It's a new environment. And what's going to happen next? Like, I don't know. And so 
it's it's been interesting so far. We're not that deep into it, but we got to the, the episode where the one girl who's from Alaska, really good at fishing, manages to sink a fish hook into the back of her hand. And she and was I, like third place in her season yeah, in and, Patagonia. And, 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 not and she even, lasted so many days. Yeah, And, and she not, said fishing was the one thing she wasn't good at. So yeah. she practiced fishing to get really good at fishing so she would last longer. Go ahead, Trevor. And it's not like she got a little bit of the fish hook in, like maybe just the, 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 the part of the hook. And bar. It like sunk right down into, so all you could see was the eyelet where you tie the line onto. The rest of it, it was- It looked nasty. It looked horrible. Now you got to remember, my wife's a doctor. And sitting next to someone who's a doctor watching the show when they have these sorts of injuries, you get a very different perspective. Like now, this girl is trying to pull the hook out as it's, you know, and trying to twist it to, to pull it out. And you've got that barb, like like with any fish hook, you've got that barb that's catching on stuff. And she just so eventually she tapes her tapes it to her hand and taps out. My wife is like, I have to guess before what she says. You don't try to pull it out, you push it all the way through and loop it out. Exactly. Because the needles that she would stitch with are curved needles. The idea is then you can, you go through all the way through both sides and pull through. So she's like, instead of trying to pull up, it's a curve. It's a, you know, and a very drastic curve. Simply keep that curve going until it pokes through the skin. They have a med kit where she'd be able to clip off the barb, feed it the rest of the way out. And then you've got two small holes. You have to pat, but you basically put antibiotics in, patch it up and keep going. But because she was trying to pull the hook out the way it went in, it was doing... With the barb, it's not coming out. Yeah, it's not coming out. And it was just doing more damage on its way out. The smarter thing to do was to, you know, twist it more to complete it all the way through, cut the barb off and and be done with it. I mean, that's what Gavin would do. I know that. And I'm sitting next to Mare just absolutely horrified. Just like, Um, now I couldn't do it. I'd tap out. Oh, I would tap out too. I couldn't, I wouldn't have the fortitude to do that. Now, we watched this episode the same day we watched the very first episode of the new Game of Thrones series, where there is. I didn't even know that was out yet. Yeah, it it came out on Sunday, where there is a rather graphic medieval style cesarean section. Oh. Yeah. And so I was already pretty traumatized by this whole like fish hook through the hand. I'm like, oh my, like forcing it through. I'm like, oh God. And then we watch this, as I said, very medieval cesarean section where there's a lot of blood and people reaching into cavities and shit. Like I was just like, I was horrified. <laughs> and Mrs. Like, Brown said, oh, we do that all the time. Mary was just, she was very clinical, but like, oh, well, that's, that's going to be a bleeder. And I'm just like, oh. Um, yeah, so that was a big shocker. So I'm kind of looking forward to where they're going to next in this next episode on Sunday because I'm really enjoying Matt Smith's character. Um, because we're we talking alone or Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, but I'm going to jump back to alone. <laughs> um, so with this redemption so arc so far, I'm enjoying where it's going because again, people are coming in maybe a little cockier than they should. They get, well, I, I, on the last time I was, I did this and it was great. I'm thinking. Summer, you were in Patagonia, which is a different animal. And the only people who could say, I'm not going to have any problem with this, is going to be an easy, would the people be the people who won. And none of you are the people who won. There's no guarantee that past experience is going to do you well this time because you're in a different location than last time. Even if you were in 
on Vancouver Island last time. There's no guarantee you're, you know, having the same bounty from the sea or anything like that. So that's a huge thing is the whole bounty from the sea thing. How many episodes in are you? But yeah, it's, I'm really liking this redemption arc so far, like this redemption episode, like our season, because it's, it's really interesting. It's just, you know, because again, people are getting so, um, so cocky about these little things and you're like ooh, really yeah because this is one thing i was mentioning when i was paddling around on a kayak is that it's interesting to see why people leave and there's so many different things like some people leave because they realize they're going to hit that breaking point that they had before and they're like you know what i'm not going there and that's their redemption is that they're not going to take themselves to the point of collapse we're at the point that the 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 24 year old guy from illinois had to tap out after the seventh day because he hadn't eaten a single thing the whole seven days. He <laughs> ate nothing. Like, buddy, grab a handful of fucking grass. Put something into your body. Something. He's like, well, I just can't find food. Was that the dude who lasted seven days and he was part of the dual survivor where he lasted yeah. one day? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, he's so that's a crazy one. And he just, like, you haven't eaten. What? What are you waiting for? Like like a bear to come out and serve you a Big Mac or something like that's a funny one because it's like oh I got out because my stupid brother so this time I'm gonna last and then you don't eat for seven days like well, no nope, done six days longer than his brother did but he didn't eat a goddamn thing nothing so nothing he was like no food like didn't even eat a goddamn limpet like if you can you have any idea Trevor like do you have anyone who you pick as a winner for this one um. Because I had a whole bunch of picks, and my picks didn't come close. I really like the guy who was like having his midlife crisis the first time, and like swore a lot. He's Larry. Like, yeah, he's he 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 swore a lot. He's kind of like my spirit animal. Um, yeah, and he's got the big burly beard in this one. Yeah, like nobody yeah, recognized him because he, he completely changed appearances. Changing. I wanted initially this when I saw that Brooke Whipple from the the couple um, was I was like, but yeah. she was the one that. You know, she crashed hard physically when they yeah. quit. So I was like, I didn't want to put it to him, but I, I really want to say Larry, but I just feel like he's, he's, I think he's going to tap out again because he, he is mentally, I don't think he's ready for it. Um, so I, I don't know who I want to say. Um, originally, I would have said this Brad guy because now he's had his chance of redemption. He's not, doesn't have his name as <laughs> brother, but. When he doesn't eat after seven days, I was just like, you need to go home. If you haven't put in anything in your body in seven days, claiming I can't find anything to eat, uh, look around you. It's all around you. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I, I don't know who to put, who to put as my, my horse at this point. I think we're too early in. Okay. I think we're just getting rid of the people from stupidity first. And then, yeah. So, because, yeah, I had some picks who I thought, would probably win and they failed me yeah but the winner i was so happy with okay and i'll say no more all right good yeah because i i i as it right now tentatively i want to say larry but i know in my heart he's not going to serve he's not going to go the distance because it's going to be the same thing as last time he's going to mentally break down even though physically he's fine or he's you know got plenty of food or whatever mentally i don't think he's ready for it he wasn't ready last time i don't think he's ready this time 
I mean, I kept saying last time, why didn't you just like, you know, do what every other guy has when a midlife crisis, buy a fucking Corvette and change your hair or shit like that. Like He did change his hair. He got a big, brilliant no, beard, he man. He bought himself like a C8 Corvette and been done with it. So, yeah, that's alone. And I'll just go on to say, without spoilers, um, the next season, The Arctic, is absolutely bonkers because you got sub-zero temperatures. Um, the people coming into this, but there's a lot of crazy people, let's say that. And this is the first time you see people catch big game. And that's not a spoiler because they put it in all the trailers and promos. But it's a whole different game. There's people going out with parasites and all sorts of crazy things. People, you know, puking up blood and, you know, dealing with big animals. It's absolutely bonkers. So we're getting close to the end of that one now. But um, it's definitely interesting. Awesome. Of course, the rest of my family's on season nine. So when I'm here (laughs) at the family cottage, it's like, whoa, (laughs) no spoilers. Um, from here, I think we're going to shift gears a bit. So on Amazon Prime on Friday, yesterday, they released a movie with Sylvester Stallone, um, a superhero film called The Samaritan or Samaritan. I think there's no the, so it's just Samaritan. Um, quick plot is um, long ago, there was twin brothers born that had superhuman strength and healing. Uh, one became a hero, one became a villain because their local townsfolk late one night boarded up their house when they, them and their parents inside and lit it on fire. The twins escaped, but the parents perished in the fire. The one brother became a hero. The other, the other twin became a villain. Um, the Samaritan and uh, Nemesis are the two names. And, you know, and then they, they, had, they had this big battle, like, was it 20 years ago, 10 years ago or something like that? 25. Gavin, you're muted. We can't hear you. That was 40 years ago. I don't think it was that long, it was, but it was a, a long enough time ago that they both of them disappeared. People think one killed the other. They killed each other or whatnot. And we follow this, this young kid, uh, Sam, who is convinced that his neighbor across the way, a garbage man, is the Samaritan. And yeah, that's basically the an, an initial synopsis without giving too much away i will say after watching the opening crawl and a little bit of the the dialogue i'd already guessed the the big plot twist um because it it was i think they hinted a little too hard um so yeah and then when when they did the plot i was like yeah i i guessed that an hour and 20 minutes ago um i enjoyed the film sylvester stallone i think did a really good job Um, I mean, when you think, I mean, just how old he is in reality, and he can still move. He's 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 seventy four years old, man. Yeah, and he's still able. He's actually seventy six. Seventy seventy six. Yeah, because I remember last year was they made a big deal of being Rocky's seventy fifth birthday, because um, there was a big celebration in Philadelphia. Anyways, um, he can still he's. You know, still a good actor, still move pretty well. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it was a fun movie to watch. It wasn't like, you know, revolutionary or groundbreaking, but it was a great, you know, great way to entertain yourself for an hour and a half. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. How about you, Gav? 
I definitely enjoyed it. Um, plot was kind of cookie cutter in a lot of ways. Uh, the kid next door is uh, basically trying to figure out if this guy is the Samaritan or not. Um, I will say I did not see the uh, the twist. The uh, it just felt like, but but then looking back, it made a lot of sense because there was never any any specific acknowledgement that he was Samaritan. And in fact, he actually denied it multiple times. And it's like, oh well, I mean, he's just being. Uh, like he's being coy. He's trying to. He's trying. He's just trying to distract things. Nope. He was telling the truth. Um, special effects were pretty decent. Uh, There's a little bit, little bit here and there that looked a little bit like, oh, oh come on. Um, I I did enjoy how his power his powers worked. Uh, I, when when he when he got hit by the truck and he was just lying on the pavement, you see that. I think you see that in the trailer for it, and he's like, every, all of his bones are snap, snap, like coming, move, uh, popping back into place. And it's like, yeah, oh, in the trailer. oh, yeah, oh shit. And they, oh. they do explain, like, you know, why he's, you know, well, if, if he can heal like that, then why is he aging sort of thing? And it's like because when he heals from traumatic wounds like that, his body starts to heat up because it's a, an exothermic reaction. Um, and he has to basically dump the excess heat that his body's generating to make to do this healing, and he usually does it with eating a lot of ice cream, basically cooling. He's, he basically goes into his apartment, stands in the shower, and runs cold water, big billowing clouds of steam coming off him, and then he eats a lot of ice cream to cool back down his internal temperature. So there is a little bit of physics going on there. They're trying to do some great wire work, like when he's like punching people or throwing people to. You know, instead of just like, ooh, knock me back step, like threw him across like the room sort of thing. So I, I like the wire work in it. It was very subtle, but at the same time, very effective because um, you're dealing with someone who is tremendously strong um, and it shows. And uh, again, Sylvester Stallone played it really well, like played it believably enough that you're like, oh, if someone did have super strength like that, because you'll you'll notice when he's not doing something that requires strength, he moves very deliberately and diligently like he doesn't like quickly reach out and grab something it's a very um premeditated move to to you know interact with something knowing that you know if he grabs something too fast like if he grabs someone by the arm or something he could shatter it and kind of give away his secret so it's to me it was some some very intelligent acting in that case of thinking like oh i'm playing a character who's this strong how would he treat the world around him as to not give himself away? So, I uh, I, I quite enjoyed the fact that uh, he's very clearly not Superman. Like uh, bullets don't bounce off him. Uh, the like, when when he uh, one of the the gang punks basically rushed at him with a knife. He catches it in his hand, and you see it pop through his like the, the back of his hand, and then he crushes the blade with his hand, and like he pulls it out and yeah he's clearly not invincible but it's like the tick he's not invincible yeah and he even makes mention of the fact that because he's older his he's not as powerful as he used to be you know can't lift as much as he used to can't jump as far as he used to um and just that you know he's kind of slowing down and and so yeah it's it's a nice way of like the aging hero who's trying to you know quietly you know live out his 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 golden years sort of thing so yeah, it, it, to me, I had a great time watching it. I didn't think too hard or try to, you know, read too deeply into it. Um, there was definitely what kind of score would you give it? 
Both you and Trevor. I'd give it a bit so of Gavin, seven. like what did you say? A seven out of ten. Yeah, I'd give yeah. it a six. There was some some definite some story things that they tried to either quickly gloss over or they went a little too generic with that they could have gone a different route and made it a little bit more ne- more unique. But okay, so I, I, I gotta like say, of the road. Sam Cleary though was a creepy fucking kid. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> fucking voyeur breaking oh, yeah. into people's houses. I mean, he was willing to do anything to try and find out the secret. So, oh yeah, yeah, break in, all that fun stuff. So, yeah, because yeah. I haven't seen this movie yet. Uh, just the trailer. It's interesting to hear your guys' opinion. Um, the one thing that connected with me is it's kind of a tie into things I've been talking about with casting, mm-hmm. where they try and take old casting and diversify it, wokeify it, rainbow splash it, whatever you want to call it, take skittles and throw at it. But if you want to do that, why not make a new story? And that's what's neat about the Samaritan to me is because it's an original story. And you can see the, just even from watching the trailer, you can see the Dark Knight vibes or whatever else, like the old man Logan vibes, whatever it is, like the old superhero just coming to terms with where they are in life and kind of abandoning the game and getting drawn back in. It's like the government try to get out, but they keep pulling me yeah. back in. You and see even, that vibe in it. They even make mention of the fact that he, that for him destroying it with his super strength, destroying is easy. So as a way to relax himself and to almost like a, a self meditation medication is he takes old things and repairs them like an old radio or a toaster. Okay. That's in the trailer with the radio. Yeah. So that's what he does as a way of trying to find his place in the world. Um, like his day to day is he's a garbage man. And sometimes you'll find an interesting find in the garbage and he'll repair it as a way of, you know, that's like his, his thing he does to try to center himself. Um, right. It's the not destroying things. Exactly. Doing the opposite of what he's capable of, which is destroy massive amounts and try to repair something that is, you know, and usually an old thing, something that's been thrown away old like himself so he repairs it finds use for it and yeah yeah so that's a cool kind of meta philosophy yeah, it- injected in because one thing with this kind of stuff too is is like it reminds me of alan moore's watchman where he tried to do the charlatan heroes and it's like whoa 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 this is way too dark it's like fine i'll just change all the characters and then you get watchman which is one of the greatest comic books of all time yeah, I think so, more people should do that. And again, I keep calling it woke casting, but like if you want to do something like that, create something just like that young Ripa that Eric July guy was saying. Yeah. It's like you can create a new character. You don't have to take something old and then swap it. Like, in fact, if you take that old thing and mix it up and tell out your dollar store Watchmen story, that could become a multi-million dollar franchise that you yeah. own it's like what george lucas did he wanted to do flash gordon he couldn't do it so it's like fine i'll just make star wars yeah ka-ching unfortunately then abrams went along and basically remade star wars when he did force awakens like, like see he should have made a new movie like a Anyways. beat for beat of yeah yeah that's a whole different podcast yeah we've, we've kind of had some of that podcast before so um, before we get into our top 10, um, so D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, um, earlier this month announced they are 
putting out instead of calling it an, a new edition of Dungeons and Dragons, they're calling it Dungeons and Dragons One. Um, they're rewriting the monster manual, the player's handbook, and the the dungeon master guide. Um, they're taking all the stuff they've learned from uh, all the previous editions, five all the way down, and then what people have written in is you know rules they didn't understand or things or changes they've made house like house rules and stuff like that and trying to adapt all of that into a one harmonious system to try to bring in new players because stuff like stranger things increase the sales of dungeons and dragons books across the board oh yeah i have some stuff to say about that but keep going yeah so they are and they have recently acquired the D beyond uh digital tools and website and all that stuff so they're going to make the idea is if you watch the trailer for D and D one or Dungeon Dragons one, um, when you play the game, when you're role playing the game, um, the DM will have a, a set, of, basically a digital toolbox that he can play with, where he can, you know, because I I board game with a group where they've got like in the table is a, a giant LCD screen, like a I think it's a forty eight inch TV. And you'll be able to then broadcast and, you know, you can have the dungeon there. So everyone can see, well, there's my character and there's what I'm seeing for line of sight without having to have the miniatures. So you can have it all through digitally. You can customize your miniatures digitally and all that sort of stuff. Or you can do it all with paper and pencil if you want to do it old school. Or you can each have your tablet with your character sheet and it'll even have virtual dice so you don't have to buy a set of dice if you're crazy. Um, That is crazy. Yeah, you You need need real dice. dice. You have to have dice. Yeah, virtual everything else, but you need your dice. You need the D20 that always rolls 20s and the D20 that will never, never roll anything but a one. Um, Because it's just like lucky dice has turned against me. Now I have to use this horrible dice. So we need stuff like that. But it it looks to be pretty nice. And what they're doing is... Character rolling dice, dude. Yes. I have actually... There we go. Gavin's got them. I have clear plastic dice that inside is a smaller D6. Um, Yeah. So you can you roll two d six by rolling one dice. Anyways, um, I think it's a great idea, and from what they're showing in the the, the trailer, um, they're really ambitious with it, and I hope they succeed because this will yeah brings more people into D anD D, which is a great medium for developing budding storytellers. Which again, for me, story is king. I mean, you can have whatever visual effects or whatever audio effects, but if the story's weak. Nothing else is going to save it. Story can save everything else, but not story can't be weak if it's if you want it to be good. And tell a good story. This is D and D helped shape me into a storyteller. So, yeah, I, I saw this and I was like, well, I want to share this with the group because right now they're in like the early playtest phase. So they have like this I think it's Unearthed Arcana you can download, and um, starting September first, they'll start taking feedback from people. Um, because they want a lot of fan interaction to help build it up so that they can make it the best possible and all the more all the more power to them so yeah and here's what i was going to say is because of stranger things my kids and my nieces and nephews all got obsessed with the whole idea of storytelling through dungeons and dragons and i so i told them it's like oh this is what we did back in the day back when we were in college and they're like, whoa, you played that? It's like, dad, we have to do a game. <laughs> so we were up here at the cottage, and this was a couple of weeks ago, and they all rolled up characters and got everything done. It's like, whoa, you guys are actually serious about this. It's like, 
darn okay i have to get like the manuals and stuff it's like i say dad can we play tonight it's like no 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 if i'm gonna be dungeon master i actually have to get a story together like this has to be good so they've been waiting you know throughout the summer for like the moment we can do this it's like we have to get together we need a box of pizza that's very important mm -hmm. and we have to do this actual thing so we've been kind of planning this out just waiting for everybody to reunite and i've got a story in mind and all this kind of stuff but like knowing that these resources are coming out yeah i'm gonna have to take a look and, at and that. the thing is is i mean we're sitting in a great resource right here i know of a fair quite a few number of D, D games that are being done basically cross-country all that being done in zoom or skype or whatever sort of you know peer-to-peer -peer sort of system um and this, the, the tools that they're talking about for this D&D one are going to be able to integrate that. So you would be able to, you know, you could be in, 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 at your house in Toronto running a game, having, and basically have the maps and all that sort of stuff. And them on their machines, you know, being able like their tablets or laptops or whatever, being able to see the map as much as you show them for, from their character's point of view, as well as still having chat boxes and be able to talk to and see people face to face and, and you could say, well, tell you what, I will roll all the dice as the DM and you can have it either done in your machine or you could have a camera and, you know, so they can see the dice being rolled, however you want to do it. Okay, right. And to me, that's just the more people playing, the better, honestly. Yeah. And I, because I'm old school, right? Like we're pencil, yeah. paper animators, you know, yeah. we go back to the old days. And you have to have the something box. about <laughs> you have to have that at least to start you know you have to have that element where it's just people hanging out together and just doing that thing you know that those stranger things moments yeah i from I, there you can expand and yeah. go out to the say, digital so to keep it going but i was in Toronto. i was actually in canada for the last couple of days um and as we were driving to my sister's place i passed a pizza pizza and i was like that brings back a lot of memories <laughs> i want to roll a d20 <laughs> I, don't know why. I want to eat pizza that's basically cardboard with crayons drawn on top of the cardboard to be pepperoni and then they slap cheese on top but that's pretty much what pizza pizza is but they give you a ton of it you know two pizzas for the price of one sort of bullshit so i'll never forget back in college where we were doing it was a cyberpunk adventure but we ordered a bunch of pizza and it came and there was a staple in it <laughs> in the pizza so we called them and said there's a staple in our pizza so they brought another two boxes of pizzas to replace the one with the staple. It's like, oh my God, we just got four pizzas. This is it's the like, best. It's not like we threw the pizza. It's like we ate around that. We pulled the staple we out. We ate like, around the staple. <laughs> you have a staple, remember? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like it stopped <laughs> us from eating the pizza. But thanks for more pizza. <laughs> so, yeah. So I just wanted to mention D&D &D one because uh, as I said, it's from what I saw from the on the, the little YouTube uh, blurb about it, the tools look pretty cool, what they're proposing, what they're going to be able to do with it. So, And I have used on the D&D Beyond site, I did use their character creation tool, which made it so much easier to like back. You just like, oh, this is the charisma. This is the strength. This is this. And this is the name. And this is the race. And you pick the race and it backfills all the, the penalties and bonuses to, to the attributes. You're like, oh, that's so much easier than tracking it down. And you're like, all right, so I'm giving a long sword. There's my damage. There's my bonuses makes it so much easier so much goddamn easier because sometimes math is stupid yeah well that's good to know i will uh, i will say this as a long time D, D player 
Uh, I played uh, so far four uh, or five different fifth edition campaigns, starting with pen, pencil and paper. Discovered that there was uh, there was Excel uh, files you could download, and basically you pick your race, you pick your stats, you pick all the languages, and it will just automatically sum it all up for you. You can print it off, you can play it right off of the actual sheet on your tablet or what have you. Uh, but so far, the best experience I've had so far has been playing, uh, well, when COVID hit, uh, we had to stop playing in person. Uh, the, uh, you know, the feel of actually rolling dice was always fantastic. But um, when COVID hit, we had to all basically stay home. So we started playing uh, using D&D Beyond with a plug-in to uh, Roll20. And uh, got to say, the, uh, the, the system was, is, is phenomenal. Um, not that uh, I had this ready and waiting to go here. Oh, uh, shit, Trevor, you don't have it uh, set to for sharing. Uh, well, fine, fine, fine. I'll make it. Oh, so come you... on, Trevor. You should share uh, with us. Fine. There, share your goddamn screen. Why, thank you. You're welcome. All right. So, what you're seeing here is the D&D Beyond. Uh... Oh, wait, I see nothing. Gavin has started. Give it there a we second. go. So, this is the uh, the D&D Beyond uh, character sheet here. This is. Uh, the uh, if you if you don't have a membership on it uh, yet, you do you're very limited what you can do. Uh, but one of uh, one of our players has uh, basically pretty much bought every single digital content available and has shared it with us. So it gives us full access to everything. So uh, you got your stats up here. You know you see that little die little icon that pops up when I when I highlight something. Mm -hmm. Yep. That basically means I can just hit the, hit the dice roll. And then it'll automatically tell me what my what my role is. So all the math is solved. Everything everything is taken care of. Damage everything. So if I really wanted to do uh, damage from my thunder spear or whatever the hell it's called, throw a magic yeah. missile at Trevor. No, don't throw a magic missile at me. Jesus Christ, Gavin. I attack the darkness. Oh well. Thanks. Anyway. <laughs> Where's the hell to stop sharing? Respond with my katana plus five. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so I've been I've been playing a lot of fifth edition. Uh, and as editions go, it's probably the easiest one to learn simply because it's all edition. So two plus two, two from your your stat bonus, five for your proficiency bonus, plus the d twenty. That's it. That's that's all it has to be on. So if you're just starting off, if you're just learning, it does make a lot more sense just, than like second edition Thaco. Yeah. See, people needed to. You had to learn the pain of figuring out Thaco to, to really to hit armor class zero. That's yeah. What it to hit for. armor class zero, AC zero. You had to enjoy that pain of the the convoluted math you needed to fill out that box of all right, my character with their longsword and their strength and their specializations and all that, their Thacko is a 12. But to get there, it's like three pages of numbers and you're okay, adding science. and subtracting and you're like using like, like sin, cos, and tan and maybe the, the, the graphing function on the calculator and you're like 12. There we go. All done. 
Although mm-hmm. that's great for kids, I will say for my sons, it taught me they math. learn math through video games and hit points and things like playing Pokemon. It's like, okay, I have, you know, a character with 120 health and it gets hit by 80. And, oh, what does they have left? Oh, they got 40 left. You know, they're little tiny kids, like barely able to read. But, but they can figure out they can take three situations. hits from this and two hits from that by, based on the, the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the way they learn mathematics through games is phenomenal. So, yeah, now, I think if I, if I get my kids in on this, I, I'm going to make them do the math by paper first. And then I'll, have, I'll let them fill up the character sheet and then, you know, have them fill up the character sheet after. And then they're like, yeah, I was the right. Then we'll join Gavin's group and get all the fancy stuff. Yes. I, uh, I I do have to say the uh, the the D and D one uh, uh, resource material so far. I've given I've given a, a pretty good uh, look over. Um, what they've done is they basically uh, stripped the stat bonuses out of the the races and added them to your your background. So you have a lot more customization with wh- how the character you're going to play. So if you're going to play a wizard, and you uh, you know you're playing an elf that's got plus two in dexterity and plus one in charisma. It's not the smartest elf in the world, but you want the smartest elf in the world to be a wizard. So this gives you a lot more flexibility with how you apply the, 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 the stats. Um, some other things that I, that I think are, are they're going to be uh, dealing with as well. Uh, this is just on the character origins and character creation side of things, but uh, they're giving you a feat based on your background as well. So if you're playing like a, a criminal mastermind, you get alertness. If you're playing a town guard, you get a, a savage attacker. Not, I'm just pulling off the top of my head because I don't have it right in front of me. Mm-hmm. But basically you get, you automatically get an ex, get a feat right away, which helps you kind of tailor your, your character. Uh, so instead of just being a cookie cutter fighter, cookie cutter wizard, cookie cutter cleric, you're now... The wizard who just happens to have a little bit of divine magic available to them. You're the you're the thief who just who who know who knows uh, how how to use masonry tools or something like that. It just gives you a little more uh, uh, jurisdiction over your how you envision your character. Uh, I've been hearing some other things too. Like fifth edition has done a lot of things right, but some of the things that have been kind of baffling in terms of how they've done it is certain uh, certain classes seem powerful. But if you compare to them to other, other classes, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so sorcerers, for example, uh, they're, they're supposed to be the ones that uh, they, they've got magic in their blood, but they have a very, very, uh, very small selection of spells compared to, say, wizards who can get every spell. Uh, they try to adjust that with uh, their various uh, new material books, new source books, and gave... Uh, new sorcerer origins with sorcerer like with bonus spells, but they didn't go back and give those give bonus spells to the old classes. So if you were a uh, uh, a wild mage, you didn't get anything extra. But if you're playing uh, like one of the newer subclasses, you suddenly have like eight more spells you could you you just automatically get. So I think what they're going to be doing with D and D one is they're going to be basically balancing things out a little bit more. Give it. Uh, give it so that players can feel feel like they're not being ripped off by making one particular choice when the other choice, which would be kind of like the perfect for the mix, the min maxer, or you know, the someone who's just trying to power game, 
just gives it a little bit more agency in terms of like how you can create your character. See, for, for me, again, going back to story, I like characters who are a challenge to play. So I think one of my favorite characters to play was a, a barbarian who was super strong with an intelligence of four. So the, the DM would give everyone their, their, their information. Then he looked at me and say, it's hot. And that's all I had to go on. It's hot. So there we go. Because limited intelligence, that all I don't understand. But I also had a ring of wizardry, which was a chain connected to a wizard with a collar around his neck. And I'd shake it and say fireball and he'd cast a fireball. Well, you play the barbarian that casts spells. Exactly. Spells being his hammer. All right. So next up will be the top 10. So as people may have remembered, we, we uh, have put together our own top 10 list of our 10 favorite movies of all time. And we've been making our way down the list. At one point, we were going along at a healthy clip, but we had a you know couple of stumbling blocks. Uh, last week we did oh, 2022. Yeah. Uh, so last week we did number four uh, for episode 49. Gavin's going to put his number four in, and then we're going to move on to our number three. So Gavin, because we didn't find out yours, Gavin. Gavin, what was your number four pick? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Mike. My number four is once again going to be a little off the beaten path. And as always, only in this spot because, well, somebody forced me. So it's directed by uh, Jay uh, Chandrasekhar and written by and written by and starring the Broken Lizard comedy group, uh, the comedy film Super Troopers. Broken Lizard has written quite a few movies uh, with uh, with Club Dread, The Dukes of Hazard, Beer Fest, and The Slam and Salmon, all with average to negative reviews, um, starring uh, J. Uh, Chandra Sakar as Lieutenant A. Arcot Ramthorn, uh, Kevin Heffernan as Trooper Rodney Farva, Steve Lemay, uh, starring as uh, Trooper McIntyre Womack, uh, Paul Soder as Trooper Carl For Foster, or Forster, sorry, Foster, uh, Eric Stolhansky as Trooper Robbie Roto, and Brian Go, Eric. as Captain... John O'Hagan. Um, now, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's about four. And I'll troopers. say I have not seen it. You what? I have oh. not seen oh, it. So, so uh, okay. there's the post for uh, Super Troopers too, as signed by Eric. Damn it! Nice. Um, so it's uh, it's a story of uh, four state troopers who patrol a 50 mile section of highway in the fictional town of Spurbury, Vermont. Uh, all competing for status with the local police department and trying to one-up each other on cases. And upon discovering a dead body in an RV after an all-out brawl with said local police force, which ultimately leads to a standoff with uh, the now-exposed Colonel Masterminds and the state troopers. Now, since Mike hasn't seen it, and honestly, it's... Uh, it's How could you have not seen it, Mike? It's... it's, it's I just it's haven't. Just, There's a lot of weird movies fun. I've not seen. Um, it's 21 years old. You should have seen it by now. It's older okay, than your children. Spoilers, I have not seen Alien. At least not all in one viewing. I it's one of those weird anymore. things. No matter how many times... I, it, it's weird. I, There's I don't a, hear you a, anymore, A Christmas Michael. story. I've not I, seen. I, I don't it's a full movie. I don't hear There's you anymore. just weird things you that have happened. You haven't watched Alien? Life happens. No, every single time. Okay, married twenty five years. I keep watching it, and it's like, oh, uh, kids having trouble. Oh, we got to shut it down. Okay, so I have seen the whole movie, just not all in one sitting. Sequence, okay. and then it, 
over the last decade, we were going to watch the whole thing. Someone falls asleep. Something happens. Anyways, sorry, Gavin, stumping on your time. Super Troopers. <laughs> Go. So uh, from the uh, the bits that they play, uh, they play upon unsuspecting drivers, such as the meow skit, where uh, Foster uses the word meow as many times as he can as a conversation with the driver to screw to screwing with some teens who force one of their own to eat an entire bag of mushrooms to the distraction of a hunter seemingly going bareback on a grizzly bear. It's uh, one of the funniest movies I've seen, in my opinion. Uh, the maple syrup chugging contest near the bidding alone was worth the price of admission. The plot is fairly threadbare, but serviceable, but the banter just makes me laugh. Why do I like it so much? It's off the wall, it's stupid fun, and the gags are straight out quotable. I mean, easily one of my, one of my most quoted movies. Is it a great movie? I wouldn't call it like Oscar winning by any stretch of the imagination. If it's on your number three, I think it's pretty Oscar worthy. Okay, sorry, keep going. But it's definitely one I can watch again and again because it just makes me freaking laugh. That's awesome. Okay, I got to watch it. Yes, yes, you do. (laughs) I'm I'm shockingly disappointed at you. Yeah, the fact that the poster's upside down, but it's supposed to be like that. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I've got a pistol with the next person who says shenanigans. Hey, Farva, what's the name of that fancy restaurant with all the crap on the walls? Shenanigans? Oh! (laughs) Hands on the pistol. Well, that's hilarious because me and my wife, Mrs. Kitchen, we have this whole shenanigans joke that's been going long term for decades. For that alone, that's tied in. All right, so it's a date movie. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it is. It's just, do I look like a cat to you, boy? Am I all jumping around, all nimbly bimbly, <laughs> from tree to tree? Am I drinking milk from a saucer? Do you see me eating mice? Because it's like the Catwoman movie. Well, no, no, it's it's because he's he says, "How about the cat game?" All right, what's the cat game? What's the record? Uh, it's like Thorny did six. It's like I think you do ten. Ten. Starting right meow, and just every time you say the word now, you say meow, and it's just like yeah. Do you know why the person he's doing it to is Jim Gaffigan, the comedian? You can tell is struggling not to laugh. He is visibly struggling it while sitting in the seat, listening to the. uh, Excuse me, are you saying meow? Am I saying meow? I don't think so, boy. Meow. How fast were you going? Like just you know the 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 best part about that is uh, uh, his partner. Was on the other side, on the passenger side, you, and you can see, like, uh, from the window, you can see basically his chest down to his, his his stomach, and he's like convulsing, trying not to laugh out loud. Yeah, it's it's great. So I got to meet uh, Eric at um, the Albany Comic Con, and that's where I got the the Super Troopers two poster. I, I got to sit in on the the Q and A, and then met, met him later, and I got him to sign the poster. He's stupidly funny guy and he's like he just like unfortunately the rest of them were supposed to show up but there was a, a, a you know there was a family incident and then a missed flight and so he was the only one who made it so i only got his you know signature on the poster but yeah i it was such i mean i i like super troopers too but super troopers one is the better film is the funnier film cup the balls the cup the balls yeah, so Mike, you need to see it. You really do need to see it. I'm sold. So, 
So my number three, because now we've done number fours, finally got through the fours, people. We're finally done number fours. We're now into the top three. This is where, you know, this is for all the marbles. These are the top three films that each of us deem as the best films. So Trevor, what is yeah. your number three movie of all time? My number three, um, released in 1980. So I was a seven, little seven-year-old kid. And this movie came out uh, with a modest budget, $30 million. Um, made, at the time, would be a monstrous amount of over half a billion dollars at the box office. It wasn't an original movie. It was a, a, a sequel movie. Uh, maybe of a small franchise you might have heard, uh, Star Wars. This was The Empire Strikes Back. This was a movie that had a profound impact on my life. Um, so I had seen Star Wars and I mean, loved all the spaceships and stuff like that. I was still a little kid. And when I saw this movie, it had one of the biggest cinematic twists that let me know that you could do cinematic twists. You could have a twist like that, that, you know, Darth Vader was Luke's father, which up until Whoa, this what point, spoilers, is this a spoiler hell? cast? Yeah, I know it is a spoiler cast boys. You're in for the ride, strap in, click that buckle tight. So part of empire that's that we got to see vader's master we, we saw vader take a knee and i was a little shocked at that because i mean to him he to me he was the big bad but then we found out that he was skywalker's dad was just like i remember sitting in the theater and i couldn't breathe and my dad actually had to like smack me on the back to get me to take a breath because i'm like <gasps> just sucking in air but not exhaling and i just i couldn't understand what what that like how could you do this to your own son and yeah and i will say so at the time we were living in calgary um which winter in calgary has basically it's two extremes it's either you have a chinook where it's green grass and warm weather and everyone's in shorts and t-shirt or it's the goddamn tundra where you're like knee deep in snow praying to God that you don't freeze to death as you walk out to the mailbox. So this movie comes out. And of course, everyone knows the movie starts on Hoth where it's cold. And I remember as a kid, after seeing that movie at school, you know, they, they call for recess and we would like gear up as if, you know, cause going out into, in, into the winter, you had to gear up when going out outside. We would gear up with the idea that we were going to, you know, we were the rebels going to go fight off the Imperial forces and the walkers coming towards us. And that was also, my parents got me like tauntauns and the little uh, blaster on the, like the, the, the one of the, the battle station, like the little, I can't remember the name of the, the, the turret. And I got like, you know, Hoth, Han and Luke and a bunch of snow troopers. And so quick question. Would... Did you have the tauntaun where you could shove Luke up inside? No, I wanted that one, but I had the one where you pop him in the top and the the, the rubber saddle had the, the fake legs on it. Yeah. Um, but I would go into the backyard and I would reenact the Battle of Hoth. I didn't have a, an ATAT, but I built one out of wood, like out of sticks and whatnot. And it was just more of sending up the the rebel trench with all the and it was just redoing the battle of hoth in my head with all these quick actions. insert me and my brothers saved our paper route money for like a year to buy the ad at walker we had to combine there's no way we can do this on our own 
we have to combine forces and we got the Yadat Walker. <laughs> but that movie was just, it to me was such a seminal moment of, I, I couldn't fathom how a movie this great and all the different storytelling and the, that big plot twist of Darth Vader. And so it was such a, a changing moment for me that, you know, at the, up until this point, I would, you know, you all the sort of kid things from this point on any waking moment, I had a scrap of paper and a pencil and I was doodling TIE fighters and X-wings and ADATs and Vader's helmet and stormtrooper helmets and all that sort of stuff. It consumed basically my waking hours. If I wasn't, you know, having to do a math problem at school or whatnot, I remember even getting a note from my teacher saying, please stop drawing all the X-wings on the math test because sometimes it's hard to find the answers because I would fill the page with like space battles. Then down towards the bottom, it would be ad ats and guys in trenches and, you know, drawing the, the beans with the different colored, you know, you know, pens and stuff to really blue. These guys are blue and these guys are red. And, oh yeah. And uh, yeah. So it's, and I would fill up a math test page with that. And in around that you would find the numbers for the answers for the questions. So the one teacher asked me to stop because it was really difficult for him. He did commend how nice the pictures were. Um, so growing up, I mean, this was a film that it was, it was the very first VHS tape I ever bought was Empire Strikes Back. Not Star Wars, not Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back. And I remember bugging the, uh, the video store. When like when's it come out on VHS? When's it come out on VHS? And he's like, he finally said, Jim Head's like, all right, we've got it. And I saved up my allowances. I, yeah, I mowed extra lawns. No, mine's even older than that, Gav. Like original, original VHS. Um, and uh, the second he said, I've got it. It's for, and it was like thirty dollars, which up until this point, most movies when you bought them on VHS were cheaper, like fifteen. But it was thirty dollars, and I happily spent the money. I have to say, uh, foreshadowing, I have a VHS story in mind too, but keep going. But I watched that, once I bought the movie, I watched that movie at least once a day. Like either in the morning before school or when I got home from school before dinner or after dinner, I would watch. And I had a little monitor that my Nintendo was hooked onto and stuff like that. I watched that movie so many times. I actually wore out the tape. Like it got to the point where... You heard, I heard the moment when the tape snapped inside the machine and it was just worn. There were sections where you were watching it and the screen would almost go to white because those sections of the tape were pretty much just a worn through the tape. And it was just, that's how much I watched it. I mean, it, it is without a doubt the movie I have watched the most. And this is from the guy who one summer watched E.T. three, four times a uh, uh, every Saturday because my mom was working the flea market and she'd send us to the theater and ET was the only movie I could get into. So I'd watch like three, four showings of it a weekend. I saw Empire Strikes Back more. Um, and it's so, only yeah, at your number three. It's only at my number three, which makes you wonder what's number one and number two. But this movie was when we started this list, this was the first movie I wrote down. Um, and then I was adding movies and it, it, did not shuffle out of the top three. It stayed at number one for quite a while and then got shuffled out of one, shuffled out of two and stayed rock steady at three and other movies came up to it and never 
made it move. So it tells you how much I love this movie. Um, it proved to me also that a sequel can be better than the original. To me, this the Empire Strikes Back is a better movie than Star Wars for many reasons, but one of them is... I can't wait to hear what Troy has to say about that. Oh, yeah, the good guys. Spoilers. Yeah, the good guys don't win. This was the first movie where I ever encountered the fact that the good guys don't win because they didn't. They. That's they, why I loved Infinity War. That they, was my children's they, empire. They slunk off and licked their wounds, but they didn't. The, the good guys didn't win at this at the end of this movie. Han Solo's been taken captive. Luke's lost a hand. Um, and they're on the run, and I'm like. You mean the good guys don't always get to win at the end? And it was it was funny. It was my dad that said it's more like real life, like that way. The good guys don't always win. You sometimes you don't. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you don't. And you've got to you've got to understand that, and you've got to realize that is an outcome. And that changed me because up until this point, all the movies I had seen up at this point, by the end of the movie, the good guy won. The bad guy was defeated. The good guy won. And this was the first movie I saw that that wasn't the case. And I was like mind blown multiple times. So that is my number three. Michael, what's your number three? Back when I was in high school, I would do these babysitting jobs. And obviously I had a lot of younger siblings and new people. So it's like, hey, Mike can watch your kids. So I do that. Easy money. So... You know, you put the kids to bed and just sit around and eat chips and popcorn and watch movies on TV. And of course, City TV always had movies airing, normally uncensored, which was awesome. So I was flipping through the channels and you see Harrison Ford sitting there. It's like, what? Like, what's Han Solo doing in this movie? It looks so weird. Why is he eating noodles? And I just kept watching. And it was unlike, it's like, is he's not Indiana Jones. He's not Han Solo what is this thing? And the movie was Blade Runner. And I kept watching this movie and it was the most mind blowing experience I had sitting into a movie that I didn't even know existed. So I was a teenager at the time. I was like 15 years old. So it was like, well, after the movie was released, but immediately that just stuck in my head and got the cyberpunk genre imprinted in my brain the Ridley Scott directing, you know, with like the long, long shots and then crazy special effects. And it just stuck with me. And at that point, I wouldn't say it would have been on my top 10 list. But then around 1992, they came out with this thing called the director's cut. And so we were in Sheridan at the time when they were releasing this on VHS. And myself and John Scallon, we went to the video store. It was like, this VHS is going to be released. We have to buy it. It's like, okay, it's going to be 50 bucks. Like, what? 50 bucks for a VHS? It's like, screw it. I'm buying it. Like, I have to see this thing. And that version of the movie, so Blade Runner, the director's cut, easily slots into my number three because all the things that I thought were kind of cheesy with the original, with the voiceovers and with the happy ending and all that kind of stuff, that was all removed. The insertion of the unicorn sequence where it's like, whoa, Deckard might be a replicant. It's crazy. 
And throughout this whole movie, there's so many of those cyberpunk elements, like both that and Akira. And like I said last week, Akira didn't make the top 10 just because it didn't quite finish. It didn't finish off the story. But Blade Runner, as its own little entity and encapsulating that whole cyberpunk genre, was phenomenal. The Vangel soundtrack, amazing. That's one I had on CD, which is constantly listen to while animating because it's so ambient oh the ending credits man oh so amazing and yeah that's just a movie that stuck with me and there's so many interesting things how it changed from do androids dream of electric sheet by philip k dick where after watching the movie going back and reading the book you realize these are two completely different entities like concepts exist that are the same but that's one of those cases where they took the story changed it flipped it created its own thing and it was really strong and i don't know about people who read the book first if they said oh this movie sucks maybe that existed but i watched the movie first and thought it was really powerful and all these ideas of humans playing god and what does life mean? And like the whole four-year lifespan. And then all those improv moments, like Rudger Hauer doing the, you know, Tears and Rain. I, there's so many powerful moments in that movie. And because I came at it so unsuspecting and just got steamrolled by it, it just stuck in my head forever. And actually a fun fact, Back when I was working on Hellboy, there's a scene where the Samael monster is getting blown away by the agent. And so he's writhing around on the ground. And I was like, oh, I need a reference shot for that. So it's like, oh, well, when Pris gets blown away, I'm going to use that as reference. So I animated the scene with Samuel doing the Pris thing. And when the animation directors showed it to Guillermo del Toro, he goes, oh, that's the Pris shot. Yeah. I love the Pris shot. Just have him do an extra slam at the end of the Pris shot. So the fact that he could recognize that inspiration in the shot of the movie, I thought was amazing. But yeah, Harrison Ford is one of those characters where he plays multiple characters that you just love. And I think that's one sign of a great actor. And I've got that in a few of my lists where there's an actor or a director that has multiple things like, just like Trevor, you have a bunch of Spielberg in your list and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. But Harrison Ford, the way he keeps showing up in everybody's list, you know, goes down the history as one of the greatest actors of all time for me. And Blade Runner, the cyberpunk genre, the really Scott directing style, everything about this movie, it just got me hooked into this cyberpunk genre. And again, back in college when you were doing the cyberpunk role-playing games and stuff, you know, there's such a i don't know like a strong part in my heart for this genre i love it when it's done right so yeah that's my number three quick question what did you think about the sequel i thought it was weak i mean i thought the visual directing style was nice i like long camera moves i like the ambiance of everything but the story i thought didn't need to happen the only thing I thought was really awesome was basically the hologram. <laughs> you know, uh, the hologram was super cool. 
but everything else, meh. All right. What did you guys think about the sequel? I was disappointed. I was really disappointed. It had some neat visual effects, but again, for me, story's king, and that one didn't have a great story. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere to me. I don't know. What do you think, Evan, about the sequel? 2040, what? Something? 2049, was it? Yeah. Runner 2049? I, I honestly enjoyed it. There wasn't, like, as you said, the, the plot was a little threadbare, but uh, I, I did enjoy uh, the visuals. Um, I, I uh, there's, there's something about, about, you know, this devastated world you know, uh, Dave Batista's uh, replicant that was trying to grow plants just wanted to live. Uh, you know, there's something that was just kind of just like, why can't we let this guy live? But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Visually, it was, it was, it was to me, it was stunning. Um, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't have much to say about the plot. I mean, I was just kind of just along for the ride. <laughs> Yeah, one thing I've noticed about doing this podcast is the things that I go most rage monster against are because I love the source material the most. And that's been a constant thing. Like the new Matrix movies. So I think they're terrible because The Matrix is one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, the sequel to Blade Runner, Blade Runner I'm just like, I'm slashing it and hacking it and being super critical because the original, especially director's cut is one of my favorites of all time. And that seems to be a consistent theme. Anytime a new star Wars things comes out, I'm hypercritical because that like those kind of movies made me who I am. So yeah, the new blade runner, man, you know, great visuals, horrible story didn't need to exist. If they wanted to do it, they should have done it better. That's my opinion. All right. All right. Over to you, Kevin. My top three or number three. Uh, hmm. Well, I'm sure we've talked ad nauseum about it. Um, so this is this is certainly. I'm not going to delve into the the plot because I mean we all know it. Um, my number three is Star Wars New Hope. For oh. me, it's uh, it's the childhood nostalgia, really. That that it, it's 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 one of these movies that uh, I, I, truth be told, I never did see it in the theater. Uh, I it, when it was released in 1977, I was living in Quebec, and of course, with uh, you know being born in Quebec and with Quebec being the way it was, you know, ne pas anglais, français. Francais, uh, you know, French open. so I didn't, I don't even remember ever going to the movies in, in Quebec. And so when, uh, uh, I think it was the super channel or something like that. It was, it was one of the, one of the pay-per-view channels that had, uh, like super a, choice that or, or first choice or super channel. One of the, yeah. One of those guys. Right. And uh, they were having a free weekend and the big movie that they were basically broadcasting for a free weekend and, and i think this was around 1980 something 1979 uh, i, I would have been about seven or eight years old and they were advertising star wars as the big movie that was coming on there on there hadn't even been released on vhs yet and 
I was asking my parents again and again and again, can we watch this? Can we watch this movie? I want to see Star Wars. Everyone's got Star Wars tours, and I, but and uh, I haven't seen it. So the weekend comes, and there are technical issues. I was one of the most disappointed, like eight or six, seven or eight year old that ever existed in the history of the world. Perhaps maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but in my little mind, no one was more disappointed than me. So I had to wait until it was actually broadcast on TV. I think I think it was C City TV or CTV, one of the main ch channels. And I was riveted to my chair. Even the commercial breaks. I didn't want to get up and pee because I was terrified I was going to miss it. Miss, uh, miss anything, you know, the, I, I'm sure we all remember the, okay, and commercial break, do, 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 do. and then, you know, you had a sibling down there, uh, they were, they, they, they were going, they, you know, it's like, is it on yet? Not yet. Is it on yet? Not yet. It's on, it's on. <laughs> you know, and I, I terrified, I was going to miss it. And even as a even as like an eight year old, I'm sitting there watching it, watching the whole thing spellbound. And when when uh, Luke was was doing the Death Star trench run, and things were looking bad, Vader was on his tail. His wingmen were were picked off. It's like, oh oh no, what's going to happen? Han Solo flies in with the Millennium Falcon. I jumped up and screamed so loud. Somebody from upstairs goes. What the hell's going on down there? It's Star Wars. This is the greatest thing ever. So, I, I, uh, with 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 everything that the Empire Strikes Back and Return of Jedi gave, I mean, not to take away from that, they were all phenomenal movies in their own right. But A New Hope is just the the for me it was just this magical first time experience. I'd never seen something like this where I actually was so invested in it. I was jumping up and screaming. It was just, it, it just hit me so hard that it, it just stayed with me for like, even now I was getting, I'm, I'm getting excited thinking of the trench run. <laughs> awesome. That's I my understand. top three. So for me, Star Wars A New Hope is in my top 20, but did not crack the top 10. But I remember, oh God, when we went to see the special edition um, in Toronto, freezing to death outside that theater, waiting for that, the doors to open and to see all the, the little tinkering that Lucas had done. Um, and the revamped trench run and the revamped attack on the Death Star to me were the stuff that, yeah, I mean, those were the things that kind of needed to be fixed from the original Star Wars. I wish they had fixed Ben Kenobi's sword back then, uh, but they didn't, they had to wait for the, the special, special, special edition to, to fix his sword. Um, but they added the uh, Jabba the Hutt sequence, which was just, no. Oh, Han Solo stepping on the tail. That <laughs> and they made uh, Greedo yeah. shot first and kind of dodged. Han shot Solo's first and then shot at the same time. And the uh, shot, uh, that's why yeah. I still have this. 
Because this is the only way I can prove the hand shot first. Yes, I have that one. I have the special edition. Um, I've got them on VHS and DVD. I have that weird that holograph widescreen edition box set. Remember that one? Yeah, I do. That was one we kept watching in the library at Sheridan all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, The New Hope is in my top 20 because, again, I mean, Star Wars, I think, changed all of our lives. I mean, when I look around the room and see things labeled with Star Wars on it, it there's more than one. There's probably more than 20. Um, I mean, I'm looking at... I got to say, based on your guys' movies, I don't know what your last two are going to be. I'm confused now. <laughs> I have suspicions what Troy's are and what yours are. You're one and two. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Tune in next week, folks. Indeed. So... Now, I know there had been planned to be an Adam Asks, but uh, Troy was unable to secure uh, an Adam Asks in time for our 50th episode. Maybe you couldn't get the handcuff keys. Yeah, maybe the straight jacket didn't. Yeah, maybe one of the buckles is frozen. Maybe for episode 51. We'll see how that goes. Um, maybe Adam will ask, why wasn't I in episode 50? <laughs> Damn it. Why didn't you let take the ball gag off? Jeez. I had a question. Oh, Troy. Yes. Uh, anyways, um, I hope our listeners have enjoyed uh, hearing us ramble endlessly. Um, again, as usual, please hit all our, our social media um, or wait till it hits the YouTube, hit some comments. We will gladly answer any questions or any concerns. If you just want to say we suck, we can respond to that too. Probably with a, no, you suck. Um, so, you know, just as a preview. Is what stupid you neck beards. Yeah, stupid <clears throat> neck beards. Hide behind your keyboards. Um, anyways, I hope oh, you've enjoyed. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I hope you've enjoyed, you know, 50 plus episodes if you add all the supplemental episodes, which I, I kind of want to do some more supplemental episodes because those are fun. Um, any thoughts from you guys you want to talk to the viewers about? Go ahead, Gavin. I know you have lots to say. Not this time. Drop blank. <laughs> As for myself, I just know this has been a fun experiment. You know, when Troy approached us to do this podcast way back when, like a year and so ago, way back. No, it was a lot of fun. This was back during COVID. COVID lockdown times and studios weren't functioning and you weren't talking to people. And it gave us an excuse to get back together and have a little chat. Like it's been a long, long time since we actually met in person and had conversations. But the fact that we were able to jump back into this and it feels like old times. It feels it like does. 25 years ago and we didn't. We were still sitting at the tables. Yeah, still sitting yes. at the tables in the freak pit. You know, I, yeah. I got to. I, I do. I, I do have something uh, that, that I want to say. Um, I knew you did, Gavin. I was just <laughs> filling time until you chimed yeah. in. When uh, when WandaVision and uh, and the Mandalorian were, were starting to air, um, I, I I had realized that my uh, my 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 social circles in which I could talk to people about had kind of dwindled and vanished based like with with, with people who I could just uh, call up and or, or see in person at work or something like that and excitedly discuss it. Uh, and when COVID hit, that made things significantly worse because, well, I 
I, I swear I did not see anyone but Amanda for like at least four months, five months. Not uh, that there's so, anything wrong with that. No. Well, they, they say, uh, they say uh, one year in lockdown is equivalent to about uh, living with someone for five years. So we managed to make it through. So I guess we're okay. Um, but when, uh, you know, when, when I see something in one division that I'm like practically vibrating to, to, to talk to someone about, and I turn over and I look at Amanda and Amanda just like, uh, uh-uh, I don't know any of this stuff. I like the show, but you're, you are nerding out way too much. And I'm like, <laughs> but who am I going to nerd out to? And then Troy messages, uh, messaged me. And I was like, a podcast talking about nerdy shit. You son of a bitch. I'm in. <laughs> that's, that's so yeah, fine. this has been Mayor got fun. me a mic because I she, she was like I, I seemed happier because I was able to geek out not to her. Um because it was the same thing. She was like, I you know, she's like, you've been talking for 15 minutes and I tuned out after the first 30 seconds because it didn't interest me. And I'm like, Tale as old as time. Thanks, honey. I mean. Thanks, thanks, thanks a lot. And she's like, no, no, no. I, I, you know, I'm sure whatever it is 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 great for you, and and because you're very enthusiastic, but I don't understand like a hundredth of the references you're making, and so I lost interest and tuned you out a while back. I'm like, oh, thanks, good chat. So yeah, so when this started, you know, she was, so yeah, so that's why Meredith got me the microphone and and. Uh, you know, made sure I use it because she was, she even said the first couple of podcasts, I sounded really hollow and tinny and far away. So that's why she made me get the mic. Well, not, she didn't make me, but she got it for me and said, all right, now, you know, use it. So I think I sound better these days than I did in the first couple of episodes. Back also hollow up. and tinny, a little hollow more tinny. full and vibrant. Yes. Yeah, ladies like that. To entertain. So, yeah, it, this has been a fun 50 so far. Um, I'd gladly do another 50. Well, Gavin Same. Playing in the yep. Yeah, Absolutely. and hopefully we'll, Troy will join us in this one, whether it's through editing or inserts or whatever producer magic he has. But he does yeah, have some magic. Quartet in here. Is he using uh, Da Vinci Black Magic yet? Do you think? I don't know. We'll have to ask. Sounds like he's doing some weird phone magic, but I don't know. I don't know. So I think that's going to wrap up episode 50. Uh, I'd say tune in next week. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about yet. Uh, Maybe some Probably the same stuff we've been talking for 50 episodes about nerdy crap, chirping about shows and, you know, woke casting and why I'm wrong, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Someone's got to be as usual. The other people are right. So we can't all be right. Yeah, we're all right. We'd be like, ah, 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 and it wouldn't work out. I can't turn left. <laughs> that's why I can't steal. That's why I can't rat, race in NASCAR. I just can't keep turning left. Eventually, I'll make that right turn. There's a pile up on turn four. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm right. Ah! <laughs> all forty-three cars are in the are in the accident. Guess we're going home, folks. From there, I believe our last step is a collective goodbye. Can we do it? Do you think we can do it for episode 50? I think we can pull it off as as long as Gavin doesn't mess it up. You ready, Gavin? We'll do a countdown. Three, two, one, 
Come. Oh, Alexis, good goodbye. goodbye. Yeah. yeah. I think that's our so very first one. I really do. Cordial. I just wait for episode 51. We'll have it. Don't worry, folks. I pity the fools. All right. This has been Geeking Off the Page, a Planet Geek production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can find us at our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter, Planet Geek Pod. Or you can send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next bad time, same spider channel, may the force be with you, and thanks for tuning in. Greetings, geeks. This is Mike, and we're getting the band back together. Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kevin. Rounding off the things is Troy, who is currently... Exactly. So, Mike, what would you like to start off with? Over you, Troy. What's your top three movie of all time? Huh. I would have never thought that would be on your top three, Troy. Oh, I knew it all along. I had suspicions, but... Now that we know.